This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 22 and so glad you could be with me for this week's episode where we get ready for the NHL season. As we're recording it, the the season's about a week away. There's a lot to look forward to. Maybe it's going to be a little more normal. Maybe we're going to have fewer games moved around. We're going to have fans in the building. We're going to have, you know, some great young talent coming into the league this year. We're hopefully going to have something that's a little more normal in terms of what we what to expect. We're going to have the Olympics this year. I mean, this is a really exciting season on, on a number of fronts. And really, anytime you get to a new season, you feel the excitement. Everybody's in first place. Everybody's feeling good. Uh, maybe not the Sabres. But, you know, other than that, everybody's feeling pretty good about where things stand. And I think that... There are, is a lot of optimism around the league for a number of young players that are going to be coming in. We're going to focus on that as my dog continues to bark in the background. And, you know, I've been trying to record this with her doing that for a while. I'm just going to let it go. So Rooney, and now she's got the squeaky toy. So now we're, we are going to have all sorts of sound effects in this particular episode. Hopefully she'll be a little respectful of you, the listener. Rooney, chill out a little bit. Oh, she's right next to me now. So, yeah, a little little play-by-play of what's going on in my office as I record the podcast. But getting back on track, this this week's podcast, I, I turned it over to the listeners. I wanted to get your questions, some of the things that you wanted to know heading into the season. A lot of questions about, you know, who, will this player make the team? Well, should that player make a team? Who are, you know, some of the guys that are kind of um, on the bubble or who are players that maybe aren't ready that are, that are getting an opportunity? And, you know, I think it'll be really... Uh, interesting to follow, hopefully for you. I'm also going to talk a lot about the Calder Trophy race this year, which I think is absolutely fascinating. For once, we don't have the previous season's number one pick coming into the league. And and really, often that player is not going to win the Calder Trophy anyway. Or the, you know, so that's that's something that, you know, shouldn't have much of an impact, but usually, at least when it comes to things like betting and other things like that, we're going to look at the betting odds for the Calder Trophy as kind of a guide to, to for me to kind of preview that race. But, you know, there there's a lot of excitement because most players from last year's draft are not going to be playing in the league this year. So we're going to have a more seasoned prospect group coming in. And, and guys that have been, you know, two years past their draft, three years past their draft, um, you know, even if it's one a little over one year past their draft, there is a lot of reason to say, okay, we've got a, a great rookie class here. There are a lot of guys that are going to be very high on my top 100 that I think could be immediate impact players and not just immediate impact players, but long-term successful players for their, their franchises. So we're going to talk about that today as well. Well, we'll get into a couple of other topics at the end of the show, just kind of a, a a roundup of certain news and things that I wanted to talk about. And also wanted to let you know, 
Tune in for next week's episode as well. I've already recorded the interview with Evan F. Moore, who is a an author. He, he co-authored a book with Jashvina Shah that uh, could be the year's most important hockey book, especially with what has been coming, uh, what we've seen around hockey when it comes to matters of, of race in hockey and and uh, and sexual violence is another thing that has has been in the news in terms of how it impacts hockey. So those are a couple of things that that we need to talk about, and and we're not going to shy away from those topics on this podcast. I just hope that you'll listen to those episodes with an open mind because I think there's a lot of things that we have to dig into um, to to make the game better. And so that'll be coming up next week. So we'll get back to this week. And before I get started talking about this upcoming NHL season any further, I did want to remind you, if you haven't yet, please uh, subscribe to this podcast. It's available wherever you get podcasts. You can also listen to it directly on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. And that is where I'd really like to see a lot of you uh, you know, go towards. There is going to be so much content there especially that top 100 drafted prospects, which you know I think it's been one of the toughest years to figure out who the top prospect in hockey is because there are so many options. There are so many good young players that are coming through that'll be on NHL rosters this season that we'll be able to watch. So cannot wait for that. But please go subscribe to Hockey Sense on Substack. That's hockeysense.substack.com. You can also access it by chrispetershockey.com. Put in your email, consider a paid subscription at $6 a month, $54 a year. Most of the content on there is premium, but I will be adding more free content there as this season goes on. So if you could go over there, subscribe to that. It helps me do this podcast that we do not have ads at this point. So I am completely 100% subscriber supported. So if you like the content, if you like this podcast, Consider subscribing there, and you'll get a lot of great content directly into your email inbox, or, or you can visit hockeysense.substack.com to get into that. So if you have any questions on those types of things, make sure to hit me up via email, hockeysensewithcp at gmail.com. Again, that's hockeysensewithcp at gmail.com. If you have questions, if you're not sure of anything, if you'd like to know more about the subscription service, uh, please do check that out. But that is how I'm able to continue doing this. So if you're a fan of the podcast, please check out that website as well. All right, we're going to get started here and we're going to start talking about uh, just a little bit in general, kind of a, a look around the league. And there are multiple teams that I think are really intriguing and exciting for this season, one of which is the Los Angeles Kings. We're going to talk about them more in the Q&A portion because I got a lot of Kings-related questions. And I think that if you are a fan of prospects, the Kings are the team that carries the most intrigue. If you're looking at your fantasy hockey drafts and you're trying to draft futures and things like that, if you've got a keeper league, that's going to be one of the teams where you could get a lot of different players. But, you know, at what point do they have too many prospects? I mean, that's, that's kind of the question that we're going to be asking ourselves there. But I think that that's a team to watch because they're starting to, to inch towards competitiveness again. Um, they're still rebuilding. They're still trying to get everything squared away. There is a lot left for their prospects to do to get ready to be competitive players on a contending team. So that's something that we will also uh, be keeping a close eye on. I think this is going to be a, you know, you, you go from LA over to New York and you think about you know, the years ago when, when New York was playing L.A., the Rangers playing L.A. in the Stanley Cup Final, and they both kind of were ended up in similar situations around the same time. Obviously, 
the Kings managed to get two Stanley Cups, and and now Chris Drury is going to be in place to chase those cups for New York. And you know they're going to be a team to watch because what is going to happen with Alexi Lafreniere? Is he going to take a big step this year? Is Capo Caco going to going to improve and really become an impact winger, which we think he can be? You know, will Vitaly Kravtsov make the team and, and be an impact guy? You got Adam Fox coming off of a Norris Trophy season, which was just absolutely incredible, and and now you've got you know, an anchor of your blue line that has had that success. And I mean, still, uh, I've been watching Adam Fox for years. I didn't necessarily think that he was going to be an impact player this soon in the NHL, but boy, what a smart player he has become and and very well deserving of last year's Norris trophy. And then you've also got the youngsters in net like uh, Igor Shesterkin. And he is a guy that, that I think has the potential to be a star goaltender in this league. And if he can be that now, all of a sudden the Rangers look a lot more likely to be a potential contending team. So very, very much looking forward to what they're going to do. I think one of the most unique teams coming into the season, though, is the Chicago Blackhawks. And if you know me, you know I grew up in Chicago. I grew up a Blackhawks fan. I think that I try to, uh, you know, I can cover the team objectively now. I think that they're going to be a very strange case study of a team that was rebuilding, kind of, and now has taken steps to be competitive now, adding Seth Jones, adding Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, you also added Caleb Jones and and uh, Jake McCabe, which I think is a very underrated, good signing. Um, big fan of Jake McCabe's game. I think he's a really talented player. And, you know, don't necessarily know if we ever got to see the full complement of what he can do in Buffalo. But... You know, that's a team that's like, hey, we we have a chance to contend. Taves is back. Uh, Patrick Kane, you know, still plays at a high level. Alex Dabrinkat is playing at an exceptional level, has a chance to make the U.S. Olympic team this year. Kirby Dock is a great young player who's coming off of an injury. How does he handle that situation? And then there's a lot of question marks kind of after that um, in terms of, you know, which players are going to make an impact for that team. Uh, I don't necessarily know if Chicago is a playoff team. You know, I think that they're they have some pieces. I think that Seth Jones is 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 far better than the numbers that he put up last season would indicate. I think last year was an anomaly. I don't think that he is going to continue to trend downward because I think he's an exceptional young uh, player. It's not as young anymore, but he's still, you know, still a, a guy that can make a, some significant contributions. And then having Flurry backstop the team uh, with Kevin Lincoln, and I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic for for Chicago but those are a couple of teams that I'm I'm really interested in. Also wanted to talk about the Florida Panthers. I mean they're they're a contending team. This is a team that has has designs on winning the Stanley Cup and they have the pieces to potentially do that. I'm really excited to see what Joel Quenville can do with the group that he has. I think that the 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 cup, cup contention hinges a bit more on what happens in net and that's where, you know, Spencer Knight who we'll talk a bit more about in the rookie discussion how many starts is he going to get this year? How much work is he going to be able to take? And you know Sergey Bobrovsky, he's he's making the money to be the number one. He's going to get the the reps, but how often will he see the net to Spencer Knight? And, and will Spencer Knight be able to take that team to another level um, this early in his career? He's still very very young, but what we saw at the end of the last NHL season was really interesting and inspiring, really, because you say, look at this kid coming in cold you know he he wins his first four nhl starts he goes in he goes to a playoff game wins that game 
you know, and then finally suffers his first loss that, that ended their season. But he's a guy that absolutely was ready for that moment and could make that moment uh, happen and, and could make that team better. So that's going to be really fascinating to watch. But you look at Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberdeau, they've both become, you know, elite level players in this league and have been for some time. Aaron Eckblad really had a great bounce back season. You know, what is that decor going to end up, you know, being able to do for that team? Uh, so very interested to see what what Florida does. And, and obviously you've got Tampa right there as well. Real good opportunity to be a three-peat champion. You know, we haven't seen that in a real long time. It's really hard to do, but they still have the pieces. They still have Stamkos and Kucherov and Point and Hedman and, and Vasilevsky. I mean, with a core of players like that, and then you throw in the other guys. Yes, they've lost Yanni Gord. Yes, they've lost Blake Coleman. They're the Barkley Goudreau. They they they've sustained significant losses from their team, but they still have that core intact. And I think you just continue to build around that core, and you're always going to have a chance, especially with Vasilevsky in the net. And you know he very well may be the best goaltender in the league right now. The team that I'm probably most excited to watch on a regular basis this year, however, and I'm sure you would share that with me, is the Colorado Avalanche. One of the most exciting teams on paper, one of the most exciting teams on the ice. You've got Nathan McKinney, you've got Kale McCarr, Miko Ranton, and Gabriel Landeskog came back. You know, the question is, will Darcy Kemper hold up in goal? You know, losing Philip Grubauer, how big of an impact is that going to play? You know, is there an opportunity for Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook to step into the lineup and, and be impact players at, at a young age? They did very well jumping into the playoffs for the team, you know, and giving them good, good shifts, you know, particularly Newhook. Um, you know, they, they have good prospects in their system, but they're a contending team right now. So does that mean that that surplus of prospects, does that create trade opportunities for them? You know, so that's a team that, that I think is very, very interesting to watch. Um, you know, it, it is going to be so fun to see what they come up with because they are so fast. They are so good in transition and they have so many offensive weapons and good guys that in, in the depth. I mean, you think about like secondary players like Nizam Kadri and, and Devon Taves and and the things that they can do. Um, really excited to see kind of where they go. But those are some of the teams that I'm I'm intrigued by, that I'm looking forward to watching. Obviously, you know, there there are a lot of young players in the league, and that's kind of what I wanted to focus on in this podcast is Let's look at the rookies that are coming into the league this year, the, the players that we're at least projecting to come to the league. As we've done this, final cuts have not been made. There are certainly guys that could go to the AHL. There are guys that could go um, back to Europe. You know, there are a lot of different things, a lot of moving parts, but I'm, I'm going to project this out, you know, based on the assumption that these are guys that are going to make their teams and, and play a significant enough role to, to contend for the Calder Trophy. But, I mean, you, you just look around – at some of the the different things that you can find in terms of the the odds and things like that, you know, and and this the rookie of the year race, to to me, I think is a is is a lot more wide open this year than it normally would be. Um, it's always fun to track because I think that the the Calder Trophy race has really been a fantastic indicator of the guys that are going to be impact players. Not just now in this season, but for years to come. You know, you look at, you know, Elias Pettersson and, and Austin Matthews and uh, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, who didn't win but was in the mix. Adam Fox, who was a finalist, you know, or was was in the mix 
uh, you know, one of the guys that, that received a lot of votes for Calder. Then he wins the Norris the following season. Um, so there's a lot of different players. And I and I think there are going to be some some real dark horses in there as well that are worth checking out. Um, and we'll have to get to them uh, a little bit later. But yeah, but we're going to talk about that. And we're going to start now with the guy who is favored to win the Calder Trophy based on the betting odds. And I don't think it's any surprise that it's Cole Caulfield. And Caulfield is, you know, the, the odds that I'm looking at right now, um, the, this is an average of, of odds, uh, is, is plus 300. Um, and so, you know, Cole Caulfield, the, the odds on favorite to win the Calder Trophy. And you look at what he did last season and obviously won the Hobie Baker. He was an immediate impact player for the for the Canadians. You know, essentially as soon as he got into the lineup, you know, I think it took him a, a, just a quick little bit to get used to the NHL pace, get used to this timing and spacing. And once he was there, he was dictating the pace. He was making plays. I think that he carried the puck a, a ton more as an NHL player than than I expect him to. I expect him to be more a trigger man. You know, is he going to drive play? I think he can. And you look, you know. His NCAA season, 30 goals in 31 games. His NHL regular season debut, four goals in 10 games. His AHL, three goals in two games. Stanley Cup playoffs, four goals, 12 points in 20 games as they went to the uh, Stanley Cup final. At the World Juniors, he had just five points in seven games, so he's slacking, slacking off a little bit there. But but I think what we've seen from, from Cole Caulfield is certainly enough. And, and you know if he's going to be playing with... Tyler Toffoli and Nick Suzuki, or, you know, if that's, if there's going to be some lines where he's playing with skilled players or maybe Jonathan Drouin, who is back. Um, and we're glad to hear that he is, 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 has gotten himself right. At, at, you know, opened up about mental health and, and what a, what an important thing that was to hear from, from an NHL player and great to hear from Jonathan Drouin. But, you know, you look at Cole Caulfield and, and he has goal scoring potential. He has all the tools to be a goal scorer at the NHL level and, and the size really, wasn't an issue in the the hardest time of the year, which is the playoffs, and I don't think it'll be an issue throughout the regular season. So Cole Caulfield, I think, you know, certainly the odds-on favorite, but not necessarily, you know, a lock. I I would say that a lot of what happens with these rookies is they're almost dependent on kind of the opportunities that they get, who they play with, um, and, and I think a guy that's going to get a big big opportunity to play a whole heck of a lot this year and and be an impact player immediately is Trevor Zegers of the Anaheim Ducks. The odds makers agree. He sec- has the second best odds to win the Calder Trophy. I think he's one of the best prospects in hockey. I think he's one of the most skilled individuals that I've I've been watching over the last you know three years here. Um, his vision is insane. His passing ability, he's going to rack up tons of assists. Um, you know, he, he has good scoring ability as well. He's a shot pass threat, so it's not always just a pass first situation, though he's more likely to pass. So Trevor Zegris is a really, I think, a strong candidate to win the Calder this year because of the opportunity that the Ducks are going to be able to afford him, the amount of time that he's going to have to to make mistakes and not have to sit out and not have to, you know, they, they need him to play at such a high level. And I think that, think that you know, Dallas Akins is going to have to allow him to be himself because that's when he's at his best. I think... The other thing that I love about Trevor Zegers, and I've said this about him before, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but he plays with a with arrogance, and and I don't think that you know Trevor can be a bit of a cocky guy too, 
But he is, I mean that with the most respect because I think it impacts how he plays and in a positive way. There is nothing he is afraid to try at the NHL level that he wasn't trying at the National Team Development Program, that he wasn't trying at Boston University uh, or the AHL. He is not overwhelmed by the league. And, you know, we looked at what he did last season. I, I mean, I watched his first few games and I just, I was blown away by the fact that he was so committed to just making plays and and doing the things that you need to do to, to to help your team win games. You know, he's good off the puck as well. You know, 24 games. So he, he just makes Calder eligibility here, by the way. And he played 24 games last season, 13 points. Not bad. 10 assists uh, among them. So not bad at all for a first season. Then the San Diego Gulls, 10 goals, 21 points in 17 games, dominated at the AHL level. And at the World Junior level, he was even better. An all-time record, 18 points, 7 goals, 11 assists. That, that's what he that that was the appetizer for this season. So he's got NHL's NHL experience, which I think is important and can help a player get on the right foot to win a Calder trophy. We saw it with Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. They they competed right down the stretch. They both played at the end of the season the year before. Trevor Zegers get even more time. So he's gonna be even more used to the timing. He's gonna understand his teammates better. He's gonna have had a full training camp where he's playing with the with the the first group. So that's why I think Trevor Zegras, very strong candidate. You know, if I if I were building a list right now about who I thought would win that, he is he is very much it's you know for me between him, Caulfield and Moritz Sider, uh, who I'll talk about in a second here. But those are the guys I think have the the best chance. But then you think about the goaltenders. There's Spencer Knight, but there's also Jeremy Swayman for the Boston Bruins. There's Alex Nedeljkovic, who is still Calder eligible which is crazy to me, but he is. Um, and I'd be interested to see how voters felt. We'll talk about that too, about when thinking about who's going to win the Calder Trophy, you also have to take into consideration how voters feel. All right. Now here's where things get interesting because we've got a couple of goaltenders that are next in the mix here in terms of the odds to win the Calder Trophy. And that's Spencer Knight and Alex Ndelkovich, both at plus 1,000 to win the Calder Trophy. Now, we know that Alex Ndelkovich is going to be the starting goaltender for the Detroit Red Wings this year. The Detroit Red Wings are probably not going to be very good. But Ndelkovich has a chance to put up some decent numbers, keep them in games, give them an opportunity. The question that I have with Ndelkovich... And this goes, this you know, in terms of actually winning the Calder Trophy, is he is going to be one of the oldest rookies eligible. Um, he just meets the age cutoff at 25. He played in 20, or sorry, he played in 23 games last season in the regular season and has never played more than five games in any other season. So he is still technically eligible, even though he did play nine games in the playoffs as well. So it was a big shock to me, as I'm sure it was to you, that the Carolina Hurricanes did not retain Alex Nedeljkovic. I personally think that was a huge mistake, but 
we'll see where things go for them going forward. That's a team that, you know, won a game with a Zamboni driver. So, you know, goaltending, I guess, is is kind of whatever. But look at what Nedeljkovic did last season. In 23 games, had a 932 save percentage, went 15-5-3. and three. So those are incredible numbers. You know, it got him. He's, he was an all-rookie selection. He, he has an opportunity to win the award again. It's just a matter of will voters feel strongly enough about him and the NHL experience that he's had, you know, because that's what comes into it. That's where it becomes subjective. I know there are voters out there that feel that that matters. Um, and I have always said if you are eligible for the award, if you're the best player that meets the criteria, then you win the award. So we'll have to see what happens there. But but I'm more interested in, in Spencer Knight because it all comes down to opportunity. How many games will Spencer Knight ultimately start against Sergei Bobrovsky? And that's where I think this is if you are betting on this. And I'm not I'm not I'm using the odds as a guide just to give me a list to work off of. I'm not saying go out and, and bet and put money on these, but but you know, I think that if just to get inside the mind of a better on a thing like Spencer Knight, the risk that you run of placing a bet on him is that, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky gets a higher percentage of of the starts. If they split the starts, or if Knight ends up winning the job, that changes the entire dynamic. But you have to keep in mind there are so many different dynamics at play, considering Bobrovsky's contract. You know, trying to make sure you're you're keeping the team dialed in. That who who is the guy that does give you the best uh, chance to win? There could be a rough patch for Spencer Knight, which he has not yet experienced at the NHL level. So there are a lot of varying factors there. Do I think that Spencer Knight can be a legitimate NHL starting goaltender right now? I think he could be a passable one for sure. I don't know that he can be a great one yet. There's a lot more that we will need to see. But you look at his performance over the last, you know, last handful of games there that he did get in, and I I mean, how can you not love everything about what you saw? I mean, he battled, he competed, he's technically strong. He doesn't give up a ton of rebounds. He he makes the easy saves that that really aren't as easy as they look. You know, he he's just so positionally sound. And you know, here here's a guy that won a gold medal for Team USA at the World Juniors last year. You know, ended up having three shutouts, which is a, a new record at that event, including in the gold medal game. You know, had basically one bad start and 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 bounced immediately back from that. I think that's one of the the great assets of Spencer Knight is his bounce back ability um, when things don't go well. He had a 9.32 save percentage in 21 games for Boston College last year. 9.19 in four NHL starts, won all four of them in the regular season. Did get into two playoff games. 9.33 save percentage over those two games. Won one, lost one, um, and that one win was with his team facing elimination. So. There is a lot to look forward to with Spencer Knight. The question becomes, how much does the situation with Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, how is that going to play out? Because there is a chance that Spencer Knight will outperform him. And there is a chance. And if that happens, I think that all of a sudden Spencer Knight really flips into a potential favorite for this award you know, looking at, at, at being a guy that, that could have, have the chance to, to win the Calder as if, if if he's his team's primary starter. So very interested there. And he's 20 years old. I mean, like, that's the other thing. And if so, I think that the age curve does matter. We certainly, you look back and, and Aaron Eckblad winning 
the Calder Trophy. I think the fact that he was the youngest defenseman in the NHL was a huge reason for that because, you know, Johnny Goudreau was very good that season as well, but was older. So, you know, I think that those are types of things when you're thinking about how voters vote. But if we're just talking strictly based on performance, certainly Spencer Knight is is a guy that, that has a chance to be there. Uh, the first defenseman on the list is Moritz Sider. And if you have been following my work for any amount of time, you know that I love Moritz Sider. Uh, you think that uh, I think that he is one of the best defensemen, not currently in the NHL. He will be in the NHL this season. He's going to play. I, I think he's going to be a top four guy. He's going to be on uh, the Red Wings, one of their power play units, possibly the first power play unit. He's going to contribute significantly um, to that. I think that he will have the points. The question is, you know, how difficult are games going to be for the Red Wings? Do they have the guns to keep up with a lot of different players or a different a lot of the different teams in the NHL? And and you know, by design, they they don't at this point. They don't. Um, so that is absolutely something that we're going to have to keep an eye on as well. So plenty to think about there um, on Cider. But I think just from a from a from a, a standpoint of how he plays the game. Um, He's physical. He's very strong defensively. He's a brilliant skater. Handles the puck extremely well. Good shot from the point. Moves pucks with with ease. Um, and I think he's going to put up some significant points on the power play. I think that you know he's getting plus two plus uh, twelve hundred right now um, on the odds that I'm looking at here. Um, and I'm getting this from SportsBettingDime.com. By the way, sorry that I didn't say that at the top. SportsBettingDime.com. Thank you very much for your. Uh, your, your easy-to-read list here that I'm going off of. But um, but I think that Moritz Sider, it, of the defensemen, he has the best chance to win the Calder. Um, I think that he's he's a guy that's right in the mix for me with with the, the Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegris. And then certainly, you know, if Spencer Knight is is getting enough starts, then all of a sudden he's, he's right there too. So, um, and, and just as a reminder, I will be tracking rookies throughout the season um, it's what I've done at every stop I've been. I think that it's one of the most fascinating things to to track over the course of a season. And I am super pumped about this particular rookie class. In terms of odds, the next guy on the list is Marco Rossi. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know that Marco Rossi should be on the NHL roster heading into the season. He's coming off of the significant health concerns that he had going through COVID, dealing with a heart condition, getting himself back. I think that we need to pump the brakes a little bit on the comeback tour. Let him get those reps at the AHL level as of being a top line player of being a guy. Now the wild could certainly use players on entry level contracts. I think that they might have a better option in the more immediate future. And Matt Boldy, as opposed to Marco Rossi Boldy, meanwhile, not listed on, on the odds list that I have. So I think that Matt Boldy, for me personally, based on what he did at college last season and what he did in the AHL, I feel like he's more prepared to step into a role. So that's another guy to keep an eye on. I I, I am a, I think Marco Rossi, once he is back to full strength, once he is prepared and ready, he is going to be an impact player in this league. He plays the game like a bulldog. He's got good pace now. I think his skating has improved. His skills have never been in doubt. He battles. He competes. I like all those things about his game. I just think that, you know, I 
I'm nervous about how how ready he really is. So that's something that I'd be keeping an eye on. Uh, at plus 1,500, Alex Newhook of the Colorado Avalanche. Now, recently, Jared Bednar did not have high praise for Alex Newhook and how he performed in the preseason so far. Like, he hasn't necessarily seized a role. So there is a chance that Alex Newhook will be starting the season in the AHL. And if that does happen, well, then that's going to significantly hinder his, his Calder Trophy hopes. However... I think that Alex Newhook is a kind of player that learns so well on the job. One of the things that impressed me so much so much about him in his first year at Boston College was he started very good as a as a freshman. By the end of the season he was one of the best players in college hockey. And so I'm really excited to see kind of where where he takes his game now and how he learns at the pro level. You know, he got games in last season. He 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 has, you know, good pace. He can make plays. He's not afraid to shy away. You know, he's not afraid of the physical contact. He's actually become a more physical player in the last year and a half, which I think is great. It just helps enhance his game because he's not a big guy, but he, you know, he, he's making himself harder to play against. But, you know, you look at what he did. As soon as he jumped into the AHL last season, nine points in eight games, did a really good job. He got into eight playoff games with the Avalanche as well, had a goal and one assist over that span, got into six regular season games, three assists. I think he can be a strong impact player. I just don't know that he is going to, you know, especially with the, the avalanche roster structure in terms of role, Alex Newhook to me, isn't going to have the, the ice time and, and the role to contribute enough, even if, you know, and if he starts in the AHL, it'll be even harder. It's a, it's a taller hill to climb. Um, and I think the same can be said for Vasily Podkolzin, who's getting the same uh, plus 1500 odds, as Alex Newhook, and I think Canucks fans are right to be excited about Pod Colson. I don't think that it is a lock that he is ready to be on the team. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the Q&A as well. Um, the one thing that I think you have to consider with Pod Colson, who played in the KHL last season, you know, the, the role that he had last year, um, it grew. Thankfully, but there were times, there were games where he'd only play a few minutes in a game and he'd be, you know, not getting the ice time that he needs. And now you're going to ask him to go into the NHL and play middle six minutes. And I think that that's not necessarily realistic. Now, last season, I think that what Pod Colson showed over the course of, you know, the World Juniors, his KHL season, the KHL playoffs. Um, other opportunities that he had to play with the men's national team for Russia. I think what we saw from Pod Colson was that he can play so many different ways that impact the game. I just don't think that his numbers are going to jump off the page at anybody. He had 11 points in 35 games in the KHL last season, uh, four points in seven games at the World Juniors, uh, five points in three other international contests with the U20 team. So, you know, he is certainly a guy that can produce. I don't think that he is necessarily going to be a lighted up rookie of the year candidate um, that will put up the numbers that you kind of need to get that award. So, so I would say that, you know, pod Colson, while it, it is exciting, he also isn't a 100% lock to make the Canucks final roster. As we record this, um, I think that he's pretty close to ready. He's certainly physically ready. He's one of the strongest prospects out there. Um, you know, he, he's, he plays like a bull, um, you know, he gets to the, gets to the net very well, uh, stops in front of the net, makes, makes hard plays. He's got defensive capabilities. I just think that based on 
everything I know about the player, I don't think the production is going to be there for him to be a Calder candidate. All right, most of the rest of these I'm going to roll through a, a, a bit quicker. But before I do that, I did want to talk a little bit about Quentin Byfield, who also comes in at plus 1,500 on the odds. Uh, I think that Byfield is a an exceptional player. I think that he's an exceptional prospect, one of the best in hockey. However, I'm not sure that he's ready to make a sizable NHL impact this season to the point where he would be a, an actual Calder contender. I know there's a lot of hype. Number two pick in 2020. Um, you know, he's obviously got all the physical tools. He's got the hockey sense. He's got the, the, the total package. But I still think that what we saw with him from pro hockey last season was that there is a lot of room to grow. There's a lot more that he needs to get to. There's another level that he's going to need to get to as a player. And you have to remember, he is still extremely young. I mean, this is a guy that that is uh, he was one of the youngest players in his draft class. And now he has an opportunity to, to, to make the Kings. He I do want to point out that. Uh, the most recent um, uh, preseason game, he was injured. Um, we're not sure of the status of that. So, you know, obviously if the injury is anything of significance, and certainly we hope it's not because we hope he gets another opportunity. Um, you know, we don't know how that's going to be uh, for him. However, I think that it allows – the Kings to pump the brakes a little bit more on him just to say, Hey, we need to get, make sure that he's ready. And I still think that the AHL is the best place for him this season. And I'll, I have some questions that were, that kind of ask that very thing later. And, and I'll go a little bit more in depth then, but you know, look at some of the other guys, uh, Jamie Drysdale, Bowen Byram, another couple of defensemen. I think that they both have a great opportunity Drysdale more than Byram. Cause I think Byram just in terms of pure ice time, is not going to be able to, to make the level of impact. You know, he's not going to be playing regularly with Kale McCarr or anything like that. You know, it's going to be, um, you know, kind of working him in and, and being more of a depth defenseman to start. He certainly is going to be a top four guy down the road. Jamie Drysdale, however, could be a top four guy this season. And if he is, that suddenly gives him a bigger opportunity to make a, a larger impact. We expect him to be on the power play in Anaheim as well. Um, so I do think that that's going to be a, a player to watch. Um, not necessarily a, a high-end contender for the caller, but certainly a guy that's in the mix. Um, you know, Nick Robertson, I think we've all been waiting to see, you know, him take that next step. He was fine in the AHL last season. Um, you know, got opportunities with the Leafs, and he and really when he's gotten to the NHL level, he hasn't quite seized that opportunity yet. Um, I think that he's gonna be a guy that still needs a little bit more time to 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 get his pro legs under him in order to make the big impact. But he's he's a guy I'll I'll certainly be watching in terms of you know, is he going to get opportunities with the big club? Lucas Raymond is another really interesting one along the lines of Byfield because I think that he is so close. He is so close to being ready. And if you've seen some of the highlights from from his preseason games, he's played well. Um, you know, Jeff Blaschel has, has definitely tempered expectations about what's going to be possible for him this season. And I think that, you know, Raymond is just, I think he's just close, but not quite all the way there to make that move to, to being a Calder contender. Um, a guy that I think a lot of people will have maybe forgotten about in this is Vitaly Kravtsov, um, who, you know, he, he's a high pick by the Rangers. He went back last year to go to the KHL, stayed there. You know, and I think that that was really good for his confidence. It was an opportunity for him to go to a league where he had success because he didn't have great success in the AHL level. Um, and, you know, it gave him an opportunity to reset um, after you know not really getting what he wanted in terms of you know the 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 training and the and the and the role 
with with the Rangers. So he goes to the KHL, and I think that could have been good for him because he did get 20 NHL games in last season. Uh, so he's still color eligible. You know, I don't think he made a, a huge impact, but 24 points in 49 games in the KHL is pretty darn good. So I think that's a, a positive thing for him. Um, and he's a guy that I think could play a, a significant enough role and, and get in there on the Rangers to, to produce some points. I don't think it's necessarily at the Calder level, but interesting nonetheless. Oh, and I missed him earlier. I said it earlier that Matt Boldy wasn't on there. He is plus 3,000. That might be fun for if you're if you want to do a little value play, uh, but I completely missed him on my list, so um, I could go back and edit the podcast. But what fun would that be? So Matt Boldy, that's another interesting one. I really do think that he's going to be have a chance to make the make the wild out of camp and, and actually play some play some significant games for them in a significant role where he could be productive. I don't necessarily know it's at a Calder level, but I think he's going to be a good. Um, I think that's going to be a good thing for him. Also, uh, Jeremy Swayman, another interesting one. He's going to be backing up Tuka Rask this year. He was outstanding in the games that he played last season. I don't know if you got to see a chance, got a chance to see him, but but at both the AHL and NHL level, Jeremy Swayman's continued maturation as a goaltender has been remarkable to watch. And and you know you got to give a lot of credit to the University of Maine. He was under duress there. He saw a lot of pucks, but I think for his development, that's exactly what he needed. His last season of college hockey had a 939 save percentage. I mean, he made he he single-handedly, you know, dragged Maine into being a contender in their own conference that season. Obviously, it gets cut short by COVID, and we don't get to see, you know, anything in terms of postseason or anything like that. But Jeremy Swayman was was legit. And then he gets into 10 NHL games last season, 945 save percentage, two shutouts, 7-3-0 record. And that's after making nine appearances, going 8-1 with the Providence Bruins with a 933 save percentage. And then he did make one postseason appearance as well for the Bruins. But I think Jeremy Swayman is a real dark horse because if, say, Tukaras gets hurt, he's had a hard time staying healthy. All of a sudden, you've got Jeremy Swayman in the mix making significant starts and he has performed at an extremely high level so far. And this is a guy who, you know, had a had a very moderate USHL numbers. He was drafted, you know, a lot looking at his upside. He had a 914 save percentage that year. He goes right into college. He's a 3-year starter at Maine. He actually makes the world junior team, uh only got into one game there. But, you know, becomes one of the best goaltenders in college hockey. Wins the Mike Richter Award in his final season, um, and and I think that that is you know just the the beginning. So you look at the transition of the NHL. I think it came a lot faster than he or the Bruins anticipated. But he hopped a couple of goalies in their system and and managed to to get that role. So Jeremy Swayman, who's coming in at plus twenty five hundred, a very interesting guy as well. Rounding out the list is Michael Bunting, who is a rookie by the slimmest of margins in terms of his birthday, the number of games that he played. Um, and if you've been paying attention to the to the, the preseason at all, which you don't, don't read into the stats of the preseason, Michael Bunting is having himself a preseason, okay? <laughs> so don't, I'm saying don't look into him, but he's he's played very well for the Leafs. He's a good fit. He's a skilled player. You know, he, he was in the Arizona system last year. He played 21 games um, for 
uh, for the, the Coyotes last season, scored 10 goals in those games, uh, 19 points for Tucson, and then he also uh, appeared in 10 games for Canada at the World Championship, did not register a point there. But that's a guy who is a rookie in name. He's just turned 26, but he was 25 on September 15th. So that is how he gets in there, remarkably. I think that voters will have a hard time getting past the age thing um, and, and uh, the fact that he just barely squeaked in, but worth keeping an eye on nonetheless. Now, here's my dark horse candidate, the super sleeper for the Calder Trophy, and that is Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators. Now, I've said this before, and I am going to admit it once again. I was totally wrong about Shane Pinto in his draft year. I thought he was a draft eligible. I thought he was a, a second round guy, like a really solid I mean, second or third round draft pick. Um, I, I thought that he he had incredible production in the USHL, but I just didn't see not necessarily that, that, that skill that, you know, kind of jumps out at you, the, the dynamic elements of his game. However, Shane Pinto went to college and over two years at North Dakota, played an absolutely remarkable role for those teams where he was he had 28 points as a freshman was one of USA's best players at the World Juniors in, a, in an otherwise disappointing you know they got bounced in the quarterfinals that year but he was one of their best players throughout last year for North Dakota 32 points in 28 games and he got into 12 games with the Senators and had seven points the thing the things that I think make Pinto stand out from this group. He's physically more mature than most of the players that are, that we've talked about. He's not going to be uh, overwhelmed by the NHL pace. Uh, he is, you know, that, that physical strength that he has allows him to get into the, the harder scoring areas. And the fact that I think that, that Ottawa has, you know, they have players in front of him that will make an impact, but like, you know, Colin white just got injured and that knocks him out. So I think that that thrusts Pinto into a prominent enough role early with a chance to grow into an even bigger role down the line. So I think Shane Pinto and the, the odds for him at this point, plus 3,500, I think that he's a real dark horse candidate, a guy that I think will surprise a lot of people. He's, he's a, you know, he's not a first round draft pick. He was a second rounder. He was the, you know, an early second round pick by Ottawa. Um, and seeing kind of what Shane Pinto has, has done, um, over these last three seasons, um, it's really, really interesting to see kind of where he goes. I think he has a chance to be a real impact player for the Senators and a guy that will kind of come out of nowhere to be a legitimate Calder Trophy contender. Um, also on the list, Arthur Kaliev and, and Connor McMichael. Uh, Kaliev with the Kings and McMichael with the Capitals. It's looking more and more like McMichael is going to make the Washington Capitals out of camp. And if you look at what he did last season in the AHL, it's not much of a surprise because this is a guy that has produced at every single level that he's been at. He's another guy that I think could get into the mix here for the Calder um, and be a legitimate guy. He is an absolute speed demon. He got into games for Canada last year at the World Championship, helped them win a gold medal with eight points in seven games. Had 33, uh, 33 AHL games played last year, 27 points for the Hershey Bears. I mean, that's as a 19-year-old for most of the season. So, or for He was 20 at the beginning of the season. So, you know, I, I think that that's pretty impressive. And then you look at it, he, he's, he's been in the World Juniors twice. He had a 102-point season for London. 
Um, in the COVID, uh, the, the year where COVID kind of shut everything down early at 72 points the year before that. So this is a guy that's been on an upward trajectory for some time. And now it's kind of culminating with him being able to be in a, a you know, the, the question for me is, will he be in a significant enough role to, to put up numbers for the Capitals, which still have so many veterans that contribute offensively. And then Kaliev was already sent down to the AHL. Um, I do think that he's going to have a, a chance to be called up very early and often by the Kings. I just don't think that he's going to be an NHL regular this season. And so that is where we will finish that. But there are certainly, you know, other guys, I think, look at the Florida Panthers, Matt Kirstead, who was a, a undrafted free agent last year. I think he's going to be able to get some ice time um, that, that will, will allow him to make an impact. Um, you know, I mentioned Matt Boldy. Don't sleep on Kalen Addison either for, for the Minnesota Wild. He's going to play much more this season. A very good offensive defenseman who put up some solid numbers in the AHL. Um, you know, guys like that are certainly going to have a chance to make an impact, you know, but if we're looking, you know, I think that Caulfield is the favorite. Makes a lot of sense to me. I think Zegris, Sider, you know, Spencer Knight in the right situation. Those are the types of guys that I'd be focusing on. Um, and if you're, you know, drafting for uh, fantasy, you know, I think those are the guy, kinds of guys that are going to be able to get you some points at fantasy as well. Um, certainly, Caulfield and Zegers, I think they're going to have big numbers this year, or or big relative to the rest of the rookie class. Um, and so, those are guys that I would definitely be zeroing in on. With Shane Pinto being that guy that you pick real late in your fantasy draft and everybody's like, Whoa, what is this? And then you can feel smart later. I think that at least I think that's where things are going with Shane Pinto. And I'm, I'm very excited to see him perform this season. All right. I got a lot of great questions from my listeners and I really thank you for doing that. Cause it was on short notice because basically I was trying to, to book a guest to, to do this. And then I kind of ran out of time, especially as I was focusing on doing my top 100, which will be out Thursday. Um, but, uh, this will give you at least a little bit of a taste and a little bit of a preview of what's to come. All right. So let's get into the question and answer portion. I got a lot of great questions, a lot related to prospects. And I received several questions about the Los Angeles Kings. I'm going to, I'm going to repeat them all right now and then answer them collectively because they kind of all touch on similar subjects. Martin Devin asks, can you talk about the Kings prospect logjam? Who would you promote and when? Uh, and Leo B piggybacked off of that one saying, yes, and especially Byfield. Right now he's slotted into the 4C role because one, three, one through 3C roles are currently filled. The other option on the table is to send him back to the rain to fill the 1C role there and play high minutes in all situations. Any thoughts on this conundrum? Adam Steyer also says, is Quinton Byfield going to make the Kings opening light lineup or is he going back to Ontario? If he's in the AHL, how long before he gets called up, do you think? All right. So a lot of, a lot of different things in there. I mean, the first thing that I want to address is the, is the question that Martin asked about the prospect log jam. And that is true. And I think the one thing that the Kings have done exceptionally well throughout this entire rebuilding process is that they've stuck to their timeline that they have. And they have their own idea of what what that timeline should be like when players should get to where they're going and, and when they should start contending and so i think if you look at the king's roster at the moment you'll see a team that um you know probably has a lot of work left to be done but you look at kopitar they brought in philip Deneau, 
Uh, you know, they, they signed Vladimir Kachev from uh, the KHL. So they filled some of those holes on their current roster. Alex Edler as well, coming in as a, as a more senior player on defense. But then you look at all the different players that they have uh, beneath the NHL system. And it's, you know, it's guys like Akil Thomas. It's Alex Turcott, uh, Arthur Kaliev, um, Aiden Dudas, Jacob Overar, uh, Helgi Granz. Jordan Spence. I mean, like all these different players that are kind of in the mix here. Um, and they've already, we already know that, you know, uh, Samuel Hellenius and Martin Kromiak and Brent Clark are all going back to, to junior, but we're gonna have a lot of guys in the AHL roster this season. Um, and, and so there's not a lot of room for all of them. And I, I didn't even mention half of them because there are just so many of them. So, um, I'm not, you know, purposely leaving out guys like Rasmus Kupari, but I think the logjam is is a is is ultimately a good thing, and now you have to kind of figure out how do we stagger these guys. I don't think you want them all to arrive at the same time. You don't want them all to be in there, um, and, and I think that's why the Kings have built the roster that they they have built. And that you know there are a lot of guys that are on expiring deals at the end of this season, where some of those guys will kind of naturally be able to fill into those roles, assuming that the Kings want to move on from some of those players like Dustin Brown and. Um, you know, Adrian Kempe and, you know, who they may, you know, could resign and everything else. Gabriel Velarde uh, also, you know, will, will be an RFA, um, a lot of RFAs coming up. And so there's going to be a lot of work to be done behind the scenes. But I think the best path forward for the Kings is to continue taking a, a patient approach. They have one of the, they have the best prospect system in hockey. They have one of the best prospects of them all in, in Quinton Byfield. And very specifically now, as we're recording this the night before Byfield went down in a very awkward hit against the boards. Um, it's a lower body injury. We don't know any more than that as we're recording this. So there's a very good chance that the injury is going to prevent him from making the opening night roster. But to Leo's question, I don't think it's the best thing for him to just be a fourth line center. Not and and being a, an NHL player playing on any, in any position, the NHL player is going to help in your development in some way. But I think that if you want Quentin Byfield to develop into a number one center, you need to give him number one center reps and they can do that at the AHL level. He didn't dominate the AHL last season. He was very good, but he didn't dominate. And it was a weird schedule too, because there was not any interdivisional play. So you need to, you know, you're seeing the same teams over and over and over again. And so that creates a bit of a different scenario. So I'll be interested to see with a more normal schedule this season, um, but I do think that that's where he should go. Uh, I think that he proved that he was ready for the AHL. Um, the NHL is allowing you know those players that 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 were established in the AHL last season to go back there as opposed to going back to junior, which I think is the right call for their development. Um, and and I don't think it serves Quinton Byfield beyond maybe playing some games early if he's healthy, just to get a taste as he did at the end of last season of where he needs to get to. Because I think that that's probably the most important thing is you need to convince the player that he is, you know, getting to the right place as 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 an individual. Um, and so I think that that's the best place for that is in the AHL. And that's where most of their players are right now. You know, we mentioned Turcotte, Kupari, Kaliev, um, Tyler Madden, Samuel Fagamo, uh, Aiden Dudas. You know, Kale Clegg is back there at this point. So, um, you know, you put those guys in the AHL. And it allows them time to work 
within the team system, you know, they, they practice in the same facility. The Kings have such a great setup where you know, their AHL team is right there with their NHL team. They, they, they can work in concert. I think that's a really important thing, you know, so they need to get guys to take those next steps. And that includes guys like Sean Dersey and Moverar and, and, and all these other players that are, are really important to their future. But I think that the, the most important focus has to be on the guys like, uh, like Byfield, like Turcotte, um, Kaliev, Kupari, guys that you think could be star players in your system. So it's really, in the end, it's not necessarily a logjam so much as it is, you know, they're they're just not quite all ready yet. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, the, taking the patient approach for this team has worked so far, and I think it'll continue to work. And then it's just about bringing them in at the right time. In terms of when Byfield would be ready for a call-up, well, assuming that he's healthy, um, you know, I think that that the fact that he doesn't require waivers, the fact that there could be some good segments of the season where you can strategically place him in there, you know, I think that's something the Kings should consider doing, just giving them those opportunities. Because quite frankly, I don't think the Kings are a contending team this year. The, the Pacific Division isn't great, so it's possible that they could, you know, go on to run here, you know, especially if Cal Peterson gets hot. And I think Cal Peterson is a very, very underrated uh, goalie. He's a guy that I have uh, on the list, on the short list for Team USA to be the goaltender, uh, the third goalie at the Olympics behind um, Hellebuck and Gibson. So, you know, I think he's in that mix. And he's 26 himself, which is really a lot of goalies are entering the league and entering their 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 best seasons around that age. Um, so I think that that's a good thing. But you, you obviously want to get those players ready to be able to compete while, you know, your goaltender is still in his prime. Because really... Uh, there are some decent goaltending prospects in the Kings system, but I think Peterson is going to be the guy for a while now, you know, especially as you kind of transition away from, from the Jonathan quick era. So that's something that will be of importance for, for them to make sure that those players are ready. So I think really next season is the one where I think we're going to start to see the, the more of a matriculation of Turcotte and Byfield and Kaliev and Kupari, you know, getting them in there. So them playing at the AHL level again this season is not a bad thing. It's going to help them be, uh, you know, more prepared when when they're ready. But yeah, I just think that the log jam that's created right now um, allows the team to focus on development first and then getting them into the NHL roster a little bit later. All right, another very popular question circled around Lucas Raymond of the Detroit Red Wings. And I'll read the questions slash statements from the people that asked that reach out. Darren House says, well, if you want to talk about how great Lucas Raymond has looked, I really wouldn't mind at all. MVP96 asks, if does, does Raymond make the wings? And Nolan Bianchi, alternative question, what civil infraction would you recommend committing if Lucas Raymond doesn't make the wings? All good questions. So I've been watching the Red Wings preseason games uh, pretty regularly. I also watch some of their rookie camp games. And for as good as Lucas Raymond has looked in terms of his ability to produce and, and everything, I don't think we've seen the best version of Lucas Raymond yet. I think that there is another level for him to get to. Now, if you've been going to Red Wings games at Little Caesars Arena, you may have been seeing a, a video uh, that talks about, uh, I believe the, the series is called Waiting in the Wings, and it's all about the prospects. And I happened to be interviewed for that, and one of the things I said was that I thought that Raymond should go, you know, potentially go back to Sweden. 
Um, this was before the season, and part of that stemmed from the fact that he, he was injured for a portion of last season. You know, he still needs to get more reps as a, as a top six guy and, you know, never really fully dominated at the Swedish Hockey League level, which is I usually like to see prospects, you know, really take charge of the level that they're at. Um, but, you know, he's played very well. I liked what I saw the game against the Blackhawks a couple nights ago in particular um, was really special. He scored a beautiful goal, has a great release, and 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 I think he was most engaged of that game. Um, but, you know, it's going to be game-to-game consistency. And Jeff Blaschel is, is kind of, you know, tempered expectations a little bit, just saying how, you know, he he he's liked them in some games and there have been others where, you know, he, he needs to do that all the time. Um, and, and and that is true. And I think that with, with the Red Wings, if they've shown one thing, it's all about being patient with them and making sure that they're not wasting um, precious minutes with these players and, and saying, you know, we're going to throw them into the fire. They didn't do it with more at Cider when they had every reason to. I mean, like, really, he could have been on the team last year and been one of their best defensemen, no question in my mind. But it was probably better in the long term for him and certainly long term for the Red Wings in terms of what it means for his contract to let him go play and dominate in Sweden, which he did. He was the defenseman of the year. He played on a team that went to the final. I mean, it's just an outstanding experience for a young defenseman. I don't think just because Raymond is a forward and a wing where there's usually an easier transition that you don't follow the same path that you just did with Cider. So, Nolan, don't do any civil infractions if they send him down because I think that in the end, the Red Wings are going to know better about what he needs to do to make their team better. Now, could he play on the team this year and make it more entertaining to watch? Absolutely, but does that serve the, the long-term vision of Steve Eiserman and what this team is doing. I don't think so. And whether that means being able to send him to Grand Rapids or having to send him back to Forlunda or doing what anything, whatever they decide, ultimately, um, I think it's okay to be on board with. I don't think there is a situation where Lucas Raymond is, you know, you can't make a mistake by pumping the brakes. You can make a mistake by pushing him into something that he's not ready for. And based on what I've seen, and based on what I think of the projection of Lucas Raymond, which is very lofty, I think he's one of the best prospects in hockey. Very lofty projection. I think putting him into the team this season doesn't necessarily get you closer to what that projection should be as much as maybe giving him a chance to step back and take the next a, a smaller step forward, whether that's the AHL or being a top line player um, in Sweden. I think he still needs to get stronger as well. He needs to be stronger on pucks. He needs to win more battles. Um, I still have concern that you know at his size, and if you know we've already seen him get banged up a little bit here and there. You know he's coming off of an injury last season. Let him gain more strength, and he might be more prepared. Like you know, you look at Moritz Sider, and he is overripe. He is ready to go. He is a guy that belongs in the NHL and probably is arriving. Um, you you cannot arrive too late. You can only arrive too early. Um, you know, and and I think that that these guys have a chance to be special and should be treated as such. And I think the Red Wings are going to ultimately end up making the right call. They're going to know better if they feel like Lucas Raymond is ready for the team. Uh, for 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 being an, on the NHL roster, they're going to put him on there, and I have no problem with that because then then he he earned it. But I also think that there is room for him to grow, and if it, that that's something they have to consider. So 
Um, so to answer MVP's question, I don't necessarily think he makes the wings outright. Um, maybe not right away. Um, but and 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 to to piggyback, you know, Darren, how 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 great he's looked. He he looked great. I mean, he really did. Um, did he did he live up to my expectations of what I think he can be at the NHL level? Not necessarily yet. And that's because I that's how highly I think of this player. He's got more to give. This next one comes from Nick Villanueva, and this is also kind of geared towards some some young rookies that'll be in the mix. And a couple of guys that I didn't bring up for the Calder odds who I think will be on there is Lucas Reichel um, and Yegor Chinakov. Um, Cole Sillinger also is asking me to share some praise. And, and all three of those players, Lucas Reichel for the Blackhawks, Chinakov and, and Sillinger for the – for the Blue Jackets have played really well. They've they've done a great job. They've shown that they are probably closer to ready than, you know, maybe somebody have even thought. Chinakov for sure. I think, you know, you look at him and what he did last season for for Omsk and, and winning the Gagarin Cup. I don't know there's a ton more that he can prove at the KHL level that he you can't start to wonder if he can do at the NHL level. Um, excellent uh, goal-scoring ability, elite shot, um, great offensive instincts. He played such a key role for a championship team last year. I think that, you know, that gives you a little bit more comfort in putting him into a roster where you're kind of in flux. You're kind of in a, you're, you're a bit of a tweener team right now. Um, and he could help, you know, bring some excitement there. As far as Lucas Reichel goes, I think that we've seen the, a little bit of both of the good and some of the not so good from him in the games that I've watched. Um, you know, Chicago is the team that I have on most frequently here. So it's, it's been hard to find, you know, every preseason game to watch, but the ones that I've been able to watch, um, I think Reichel has shown that his skill level is, is super high end. Um, he has a chance, you know, you put him with the right people in Chicago and he's going to have a chance to contribute. I think both he and Chanakov make their opening night rosters and, and actually could be contributors. And those could be guys that you see. Um, on the betting lines later when they're for the, for the Calder trophy. But those are two guys I think are, are outstanding. And then Cole Sillinger, you know, I think you send him back to the WHL last next season. He played all of last year in the USHL dominated. Um, I want to see him do that again at the WHL level. There's no need to rush a player like him. Um, his, his skating has looked good. His physicality has really jumped out. Like his strength is, is, is much further ahead than I believed when I saw him play in the USHL and some of the things that I saw in rookie games and how physically ready he was. I mean, like there's a chance you could give him a, a look, you know, like that nine game look without burning the year off of his contract. And, and that would be fine. But I think ultimately, you know, the, the right thing to do for him is to, is to go back to junior, you know, be a potential. I, I think he could be a 60 goal scorer in the WHL. And and what does that do for for a player's confidence? That's what I'd be really excited about if I'm if I'm the Columbus Blue Jackets. But yeah, I think Chinakov and Reichel look very close to ready, if not ready, to be contributors and guys that I think will will have a positive impact early on. Um, Nick also asked, you know, overripe versus salary prospect. Who's ready to break out versus? Um, you know who has the opportunity pass by, and I think I'll start with the second one first. And the guy that I'm I'm a little concerned about at this point is Barrett Hayton, and and Hayton has had time in the NHL. I don't think that his development was handled very well by the Coyotes. Now that's a previous administration. I think that you know Barrett Hayton. I they they took him earlier than I would have taken him in the draft based on my personal rankings at the time. 
However, the following year, he looked incredible, um, you know, being a top player for the Sioux Greyhounds, you know, hit 66 points in 39 games. And then, you know, played in two world juniors. He was the captain of Canada in, in 2020 when he had, you know, he got 20 games in, um, you know, played, played well, but you know, now he's still Calder eligible, which is kind of amazing. Um, you know, he's, he's gotten, uh, 34 career NHL games in 14 last season. You know, he went over to Finland at the beginning of the year and was only okay. Like did not play very well, um, in Finland. Then he came back, we played in the AHL mostly last year. And again, was just okay. Now this is a guy that's a number five overall pick. And I, again, he's dealt with injuries. There have been other things that he's, that, that have not gone his way, but I do have significant concern that he can't be, that, that he may not be a part of the long-term solution in Arizona, which again, this is a draft pick of a, a previous um, uh, front office uh, with, with, you know, that they took a risk and early on, it looked like it was going well, but then I think that they, they jumped the gun in, in having him, play on their NHL roster a little too early than not getting the reps that he needed, then getting hurt at the world juniors. And then, you know, it was behind the eight ball after that. So um, I, I think that he he's, he's in need of a reset. If nothing else, I don't necessarily think that means that they have to trade him, but I just think that hopefully under new, the new coaching staff and maybe being reunited with uh, Andre Torini, uh, who was an assistant coach on the, on the gold medal team that, that Hayton captained, for Canada at the World Juniors, maybe that helps re- rejuvenate him a little bit. But that's a guy that I'm 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 concerned about. Um, I think in terms of overripe, Moritz Sider, who I just said, you know, the, the the Red Wings slow played his development because they surprised everybody when they took him sixth overall. The follow by the following season in the AHL, it was clear that 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 they had, you know, that there maybe end up being better players in the draft. You know, you look think of guys that went after him like Trevor Zegers. And and Cole Caulfield, who I uh, in, I both have them ahead of Cider in the top 100. Spoiler alert there. Um, I think that there are going to be some better players than him from that draft. But at the same time, I think he is that cornerstone defenseman that the Red Wings thought they were drafting. He's a guy that they are going to be able to continue to build around. And I think that this is a year where he has a chance to be a top four defenseman uh, right away. He, he had that great season in the SHL last year, which I was, I was curious about. I said, you know, why are the Red Wings sending him there and then not letting him play at the world juniors and do all this. I think that the Red Wings have made all the right moves with his development because every step of the way, Mort Sider looks better in the preseason games that I've watched. I, I I've been blown away by his poise. I knew that that would be the case because that's just how he plays at every level, but Mort Sider, I mean, Get excited, Red Wings fans. I know you already are, but, I mean, I think that kid is going to be outstanding. All right, this next one comes from At Hockey Scribe. What prospect is likely to make a team but needs more development? And by contrast, which prospect seems ready but won't make their respective team? Really good question there from um, from At Hockey Scribe. And I'm, again, going to start with the second one. I think one of the prospects that I feel is ready um, but may not make the team is, is Peyton Krebs. And we actually had a, I, I saw that we had a, uh, after this question, uh, somebody jumped into our conversation there, Ryan, Michael, uh, st- stepped in and, and had, had mentioned Krebs and, and, and he's right because Krebs took a huge step last season, 
Um, and, you know, here's a guy that was th- that slipped in his draft year because I think a lot of teams were a little bit concerned about, you know, how would a, the Achilles injury that he suffered before the draft um, affect his, his burst, his speed, all those things. And, you know, to a certain degree, it did impact it. But I think that what he's shown is that his hockey sense and his his decision making and everything else that he he's been able to to kind of compensate for has been really impressive. Um, Vegas is just a team that doesn't have a lot of spots. And Krebs is, a, you know, a center winger kind of guy. You can he can play anywhere you need him to. But it just looks like that, you know, they're not going to have the the slots for for a guy like that and that's really been the issue with with Vegas for a while um you know they have so many veteran players under long-term contracts that there haven't been opportunities for their younger players to get in there and now you know they've added others um to the group and and you you just kind of have to wait and see what kind of injuries pop up you know who's going to be there um, to, to be a, a, an impact player. But I, I do think that like Krebs is going to be a guy that probably will end up going back to, to Henderson, even though, um, unless there are injuries, even though, you know, he's probably closer to ready, um, than most. Uh, so I, I think that he's a guy that, that is, is probably not going to make it, but, but should, um, or would in other, in other instances. Um, in terms of uh, a, a prospect likely to make a team that but needs more development, um, that's a good question. It's it's not abundantly clear to me. You know, there there is the chance I would say that William Eklund makes the Sharks, but it's not a guarantee. And if if that happens, he'll be one of the few players from this year's draft to actually make the NHL team straight after his draft year. But to be honest, I thought that there were elements of his game that just weren't translating the way that they should. And I think that he he has the skill. He has the speed. Um, it's just a matter of this is a guy that hasn't played much on the smaller ice surfaces. This is a guy that needs to, you know, have some of that extra space. And if he can find that, you know, that, that happy medium, I, I think, you know, for me, the best place is probably to have him in the AHL um, to do that. Um, so there's a chance that we, again, we don't know for sure, but there's a chance that he makes the team out of camp. I just don't think that that's necessarily going to be the end, end up being the best thing. And he's such an important prospect for them. You know, it wouldn't be a good time for that. So, uh, he's, he's another one, another prospect that seems ready. Um, but, but is not making the team. I think Samuel Fagamo is, is right on the cusp for the Kings. He's a guy that, you know, bring speed and, and, and some 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 skill and some scoring ability. Same with Rasmus Kapari. Those are guys that are in that prospect pool that could potentially, you know, take that next step. It's just, you know, it's it there's not a real good easy spot for them to fit in there. Um, and this is this is uh, another question. Jack Manning, which player is gonna make the NHL but would arguably be better served another year at a lower level? Um, you know, I think for sure. Eklund is one of them, you know, just trying to think of some of the other guys that that could be, could be true of, um, you know, I, I think Byfield is, is one of those guys where, you know, it, there's a good chance that, that he, he could do that. I think another one, and, and there's another question about these guys too. So I'll, I'll kind of segue into that next question, but you know, what if Mar- Marco Rossi, Adam Beckman, 
Matt Boldy, those guys, is there a spot for them ready to go on the wild? And if there is, you know, can they, can they handle it? Um, you know, those are questions that I think will have to be asked um, over time here. I don't necessarily think that those guys are going to end up, um, um, you know, being there in the end. Um, but I, I do think that there is a lot of excitement and rightfully so about those guys. So um, definitely uh, interested to see if any of them make the opening night roster. I would say that Rossi is the one that really needs more time just to get back to it. So uh, that brings me to the question from Thomas Erickson. And it says, with the wild grabbing Rem Pitlick off of waivers, what do you see for Boldy, Rossi, Beckman, probably starting in the AHL, finally giving some of the kids some time to find their stride in the pro, something the, the wild has never been able to do. I mean, really, if the claim of Pitlick off of waivers was um, – you know, to, to kind of buy some time for some of those guys. And I think that was a good claim because Pitlick's a, a relatively cheap player. Um, and, and he's got 10, 10 games of NHL experience. He's a former Minnesota golden gopher. Um, so he's a guy that I think could step in and be a little bit more ready uh, for the team. But I mean, you look at the wilds roster as it stands right now and, and you, you know, you've got Kaprizov, you got Erickson who took a huge step. You've got veterans. You, you know, I think there should be an expectation that Jordan Greenway is taking the next step forward. Um, you know, what, it, where it gets a little interesting is kind of in the depth of that team. Um, who, who are the guys that should be there? Um, you know, I think Nico Sturm is ready to be that guy we saw last season, excuse me, how, how good he was, um, as a, as a depth player and where he'll, he'll get to next. Um, you know, I, my expectation, and it doesn't look like it's like completely going to happen, but you know, Kalen Addison looks pretty close to ready for, to, to be an NHL player and, and got into some games last season. And I think, you know, is he, but is he going to be a better option for you than uh Dmitry Kulikov or a Jordy Ben? Um, and, you know, certainly bringing in Alex Goligoski, uh to have that offensive element and, and having Matt Dumba and Jared Spurgeon already, you know, how much of the same thing do you want? Um, and, and so that makes a, a lot of questions. So the, the wild, as they are constructed presently, have the opportunity to send all of those guys back and give them more time. And I, I still think that I will say it all the time. There is nothing wrong with sending those guys back. There is nothing wrong with that at all. And, and that is a good thing in the end is because if you have that luxury, if you don't need them, you never want to be in a position where you need your prospects to step in. That's not a good place to be. The wild are not at that place right now. And I think that's a very good thing. The next one comes from Sean Leahy, who has the best flow among the 2021, 22 Calder contenders. Well, we've already had one person comment that, that Dawson Mercer has got to be in the mix. And I'll tell you what, Dawson Mercer is a bit of a dark horse um, in, in terms of rookies. And I think that the, the devils who I've not talked about yet, and I apologize devils fans, because I think you're a really interesting team as well with the number of players that you have coming into the mix. And obviously I think we're, I, this is the year where I think we're going to see Jack Hughes break out in a huge way. Um, Dawson Mercer is a really interesting player. I think he's played very well. Um, he's definitely grown out the hair, which you got to give him credit for that. It looks pretty solid. Um, you know, one thing that I, that I think is is also very important to note at this particular stage of the season, and, and again, all credit to Dawson Mercer, 
I think Trevor Zegers has fully leaned into, you know, being a kid that's from the East, but he's, he's fully leaned into being a beach, a beach guy now. Um, you know, and shout out to his brother too, a Billy who plays for UCLA's club team. Um, talk to him for a story I did a few years ago. And I got to say UCLA's uh, club hockey jerseys are beautiful. Um, but I think I think Zegers might might end up being the guy because you know Dawson Mercer if he ends up going back you know not being able to make the team or something like that I think Zegers we're we're feeling pretty pretty comfortable with him but Mercer's got the you know got the exhaust pipes going out at the back there I think that we've seen him play uh, really well he had scored a beautiful goal uh, in one of the preseason games here where he just picked a corner and um, so the the hair is giving him strength and and I appreciate that. All right, so that's most of the questions there that I got about the rookies. I did get one for the 2022 draft, and I did want to take a quick second to talk about that because the draft season has begun. Um, We're starting to see those players get back into the mix. The CHL is underway, at least in the WHL and the QMJHL. Um, And, you know, Shane Wright uh, is is the odds-on favorite. Also should mention that Bob McKenzie's early draft rankings came out. Um, and, and so those are always an interesting guide because he, he gets insight from, from other scouts and, and everything like that. And, and so, um, you know, that, that helps give us an idea, obviously Shane Wright far and away, the number one unanimous selection to be that guy. I don't think there's any doubt there. Um, but the question that I got about the draft is which 2022 draft he projected to go in the 13 to 18 range. Do you think has the highest ceiling? So it's really too early to say, you know, who is going to go in that, that the teens, um, you know, but one guy that didn't make uh, Bob McKenzie's top 16 that I think is an exceptional player and will have a big season this year is Isaac Howard. And I've talked about him on this podcast before, so I won't belabor the point too much, but Isaac Howard uh, was uh, called up to the under-18 team last season. He plays at the National Team Development Program. He's committed to the University of Minnesota Duluth and, and, and is one of the big recruits that they've had there in a long time. Um, you know, Certainly, Riley Tufty was, was highly touted. I don't necessarily think he lived up to the hype that I think H- Howard uh, could potentially live up to. But Isaac Howard, very skilled, very creative player, um, has a goal scorer's mentality. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think, uh, is underappreciated because he plays with a Logan Cooley, who's a little bit more, you know, top level guy. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, that a lot of people are sleeping on Ike Howard so far this season. He's got nine points already through six games, four and two USHL games. Um, so he's off to a really good start. He had 54 points in 34 games with the U17 team last season. When he got called up to the U18 team, 19 points in 17 games. So this is a guy that really can produce, uh, you know, I think the size factor is one thing, but, but I think his, his skill level, that's a guy to keep an eye out for. The other thing that I think is going to be really interesting to watch this year. And I want to get this on the record now because he ended up coming in on Bob McKenzie's list at number three. And I have to tell you the uh, Brad Lambert came in. We've been talking about him, for years, he is a dynamic skater. Um, he can make plays. The concern that I have at this point is he hasn't looked like other top-end players out of Finland in a lot of different ways, one of which being the numbers. Um, as of right now, one point through seven games for JYP. Um, you know, he was okay at the world junior summer showcase. 
Um, and now all of a sudden I'm starting to get flashbacks to Atu Ratu and his, his drop. And I do think that, that there is a good chance and on, honestly, it's my personal feeling at this point that Brad Lambert may not be the best prospect for this draft in Finland right now. Joachim Kamel has been putting up remarkable numbers, looking more like a pro, looking more like an impact player, looking like a guy that could be a top-line scorer, and he's on the same team as Lambert. He has nine points through eight games, six goals, and Kamel was excellent for the under-18 team last season. They didn't have a ton of skill. He was probably their most skilled player. He was just under a point per game at the U-20 level last season for uh, JYP and and then had three goals at the under-18 World Championship. The way he's playing right now, he is probably going to surpass uh, Lambert in terms of draft stock. But as we saw, very high opinions of Brad Lambert at this point. Um, and I had a high, I have a high opinion of Brad Lambert. I didn't think there were enough guys that, that, that bounced ahead of him in the rankings, but those are that, that is very early in this season. Keep an eye on what happens with Brad Lambert. Also keep an eye on Danil Yurov, a top Russian player. I had him number three on my board, um, in my, my initial rankings, um, he is not getting a lot of ice time at the KHL level. They're putting him back into the into the the, the junior league, the, in the or the VHL, the minor league there, and maybe he's get you know he's getting more ice time there. But when he's played at the KHL level, he hasn't gotten the ice time. And this is the concern that you have when you're drafting players out of Europe. I mean, it was the same story with Lucas Raymond. Didn't get a ton of ice time at Forlunda in his draft season, but that didn't necessarily prevent him from getting picked. So. When Danila Yurov has played in the U20 league this year, he has six points in two games. He has no points in 12 games for Metalurg in the KHL. But look at the ice time that he's getting there. You know, there was a game where he played 40 seconds, one shift. Game 246, 418, 125. His most recent game, he played 712. You know, his season high is 820 at this point. He has one shot on goal. It's just hard for a player to get into a rhythm. So he's too good for the U20 ranks, not quite good enough to be play a contributing role on a KHL team. How does that impact his draft stock? I think he's an exceptional talent, a chance to be a good power winger, and uh, just hoping that he'll uh, he'll get it together here or that they'll get it together and find a place for him to play so that he can actually showcase himself for the draft. But those are the types of things that happen when you're uh, – when you're dealing with uh, these prospects. So uh, it's something to think about, something that we'll keep tracking as well. The 2022 draft, never far from mind. And it's great to get those questions. If you ever want to ask questions for this podcast, all you got to do is hit me up on Twitter at Chris M Peters or email me at hockey sense with Chris or hockey sense with CP at gmail.com. Um, I will answer any and all questions that I get on this podcast. Don't forget next week, I will have Evan F Moore on the podcast. There is some issues in the hockey world that we need to discuss. Um, I already recorded that interview. I'll have a little bit of additional commentary. I'm actually going to be out of town for a little bit. So that will be coming on Wednesday of next week. Um, and Evan F Moore, great commentary on a lot of different topics and his new book coming out. Uh, along with Jashvina Shah. So make sure to, to check out that interview. Otherwise, get on over to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That's hockeysense.substack.com. By the time you listen to this podcast, there is a decent chance, if, you, if you're listening to it before Thursday, October 7th, 
uh, then you won't. But but if you if you listen to this by October seventh, the top one hundred drafted prospects will be on there. And so go check that out right now because that is where I am going to have some in-depth commentary on the players that I think are the top prospects. And there was a big debate at number one. If you saw my piece a few weeks ago, you know that Quinton Byfield and Trevor Zegris are neck and neck. And, and, and there's also Cole Caulfield and Moritz Sider. And, uh, you know, there's, and, and even Maddie Beneers and just like, uh, and Owen power and all these, you're trying to, who, who should it be? And, uh, you're going to find out this week. So go ahead and subscribe to that newsletter Get it in your inbox at $6 a month, $54 annually, and we will have plenty more content this season. Thank you so much for sticking with me through a longer podcast. Thanks for listening to me drone on without having the an interesting guest. Uh, but hopefully this was enjoyable for you. If you do have questions, make sure to send them my way. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you get it. It really does help us get the word out. So help me to get this out. If you have a lot of friends uh, in the hockey world, share it with them and let them know what they can listen to. Hope that you enjoyed all the content that that has been coming your way from me uh, since I've been on my own. And I uh, thank you for all the support that I've gotten. So let's have a great season. All right, it's ready to go. It's it's fun. I'm excited that we're back. Plenty of great hockey to come your way, and we'll have lots to talk about real soon. So make sure to come back for next week's episode right here on Talking Hockey Sense. I really appreciate all the support you provided, and thanks for all the great questions as well. That's going to do it for today's episode. My name's Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.